0: esteemed audience and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm your host Rob Kent and as you know I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees and you can get that novel now as a paperback as an audiobook, but the ebook, oh, esteemed audience, the ebook is free, yes, free, to download whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold. Get your copy of book one. And then when you're hooked on Banneker Bones and Ellicott Skullverse Adventures, fighting robot bees on their jetpacks, and you wanna know what other kind of sci fi mischief they're gonna get up to. Good news, I've got Banneker Bones and the Alligator People just waiting for you to be followed by Banneker Bones and the Cyborg Conspiracy, and probably eventually some more stories. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, Under the super secret pen name, Robert Kent, I've written some novels for older readers. You can find out more about that. And more importantly, you can get the entire back catalog of this show and read written interviews with literary agents, editors, authors, Book people, the world's best people. And all of that is waiting for you at middlegrade ninja.com. Uh, for today, I couldn't be more excited. We have the extremely good fortune to be chatting with Corrine Getton. Corrine, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to chat with you. I've got all kinds of questions for you, but esteemed audience knows that I never make my guests suffer through me trying to go over their background or trying to summarize their book. Why would I make you sit through either of those things when you're right here and, and could tell us better than I can? Uh, so if you would give a esteemed audience an overview of your background and we'll get started.
1: Yes, of course. So my name is Karine Getton. I'm the author of If You Read This and When Life Gives You Mangoes. Um, I was born in Jamaica and moved to England when I was seven years old. Um, I lived in the south of England, a um, very small town. My father was a headmaster. So we moved around quite often. So we moved across the country. We moved to the north, north of England and stayed there for a while. And then we moved back to Jamaica for a few years. Then we came back to England. Um, and so we traveled quite a lot because my dad was also a preacher. So we, he, we did uh, a lot of missionary work. So we traveled to a lot of Caribbean islands in between that as well. Um, and I was always into reading. I, as soon as I could choose my own books at uh, maybe eight years old, I was hooked on reading. I would get a book. Um, I would sit in the corner of a room where I wouldn't be disturbed or between two bookshelves where no one could find me. And I would just read for as long as adults would allow me to read. And a lot of the books that I would choose would be for my grandma because she yep, uh, also lived in a house with us and she had a lot of like Enid Blyton books and so I'd read a lot of Faraway Tree, um, Famous Five, Secret Seven and that's what really got me into writing.
0: When you say headmaster, I'm, you know, I'm I'm here in the United States as are some of the listeners, but not all, oh God bless you, international listeners. Um, but um, when we say headmaster, I of course think Dumbledore. Um, what <laughs> is, that, is that like a principle? What does a
1: headmaster- that's the word.
0: So I sometimes
1: I, I know straight away that there's a different word uh, that they say in America. And I'll change it in my head. But then or I don't always remember that you don't call
0: your principals head
1: headmaster. So we call them headmaster or headmistress. You
0: guys call them principals. Gotcha. So he's got an office there in the front of the school. If you get in trouble, that's who you're going to see. That that's kind of the one. <laughs> <laughs> they call she, your parents. Uh... If you need the rejuvenative powers of Fox the Phoenix, well, that's... <laughs> yes. So that's, uh, I've heard you talk about this uh, elsewhere. That's a big change going from a small, commun- small uh, insulated community relatively within Jamaica, like described in uh, in your books. Uh, and then you can move to a town in England where you are uh, the, the only people of color in town, right?
1: Yes, exactly. So where I was born in Jamaica it was a small fishing town and we lived above the uh, above the town um, on a, on this uh, hill in know even smaller community and that's all I knew um, everybody knew each other and that's where I get a lot of my inspiration for my books from. Um, So then we moved to England and there was so many things to adjust to the weather for one it was freezing cold when we arrived i would never experienced that it was snowing I couldn't understand why ice was on the floor and not in the fridge Um, um, but also we were the only people of color yes and that was my first experience of racism and that uh, when you don't look like other people they don't always accept that and that was
0: a really confusing time for me. Well I've heard you talk uh, elsewhere about people actually stopping in the street and pointing at you and your family. Oh
1: yes, we had so many instances. We uh, we would walk into town uh, or we would just visit a neighbouring town and people would literally stop in the street and just stare at us in silence. they would be Having a conversation the conversation would stop we'd walk into a restaurant the chatter would stop and everyone would just stare at us i remember a time when we went on a boat uh, there was this uh, boat trip that we're going on on the lake and we were waiting in the line to go on the boat and the, everybody on the boat was just staring at us and this little girl bless her went mommy there's some dark ones coming on <laughs> And then we had to get on this boat. Now this little girl had announced it to everybody, and walk through this crowd of people who just stared at us. Um, yeah, it was it was very eye opening and and confusing time for me because I didn't understand what the problem was. You know, I was who I was, and I'd never been told that I was different. I'd never experienced been different. Um, so that was that was quite eye, eye-opening for a child
0: as well. I chuckle a little bit there, uh, just one in, in, in recognition of, uh, unfortunately, having had not that experience, obviously, but somewhat similar experiences, having been from an all-white town and then marrying an African-American woman and then uh, coming back and meeting some of those same people, like, oh, you're not who I thought you were. Mm. We were in a situation before and now I see you. I know who you are now. Uh, and, and you chuckle a little bit because it's just so relentlessly terrible. What other reaction can you have unless you want to break down uh, and, and and weep or rage every time you, you think of it, right?
1: Well, yeah, exactly. Um, I remember how I felt at the time as a child. Um, I remember not wanting to get on that boat and feeling a little bit terrified um, that these people didn't seem to like me that's that's how I felt at the time and it was probably one of the worst trips I ever had but when I tell a story as an adult you know we sort of I laugh when I tell it because it is just so ridiculous you know when you look back on it as an adult you just uh you can't understand how or why people think or behave that way and it's it's so crazy it's almost humorous um that that it's, it's almost like out of those those you know those comedy films where someone just screams something in a crowd and everybody turns to look and it was it was those instances and maybe sometimes that's a coping mechanism you know to laugh about it like you said instead of crying you just sort of you have to laugh and not not let it affect you too deeply or else you know you
0: would just carry that forever. Reminds me of uh, John Smith and um, A Stranger in a Strange Land. Um, a great book by Robert Heinlein. If you only read one Robert Heinlein book, and by God, given some of the ones he wrote, maybe maybe that's probably not a bad policy. But Stranger in a Strange Land is a quality book, and he is a, he comes from Mars, and his observation of humanity is, oh, you laugh because it hurts so much. And it, when I read that, it cut so deep. But yes, that is what a Martian would take away from from humanity here on Earth. That that's that's how we're rolling. Yeah,
1: I'm, perfect,
0: this. Sure. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just said that's perfect. That's a perfect quote. It's uh, it's one of my favorites. So if you haven't read it, esteemed audience, it's, it's highly recommended. After. Of course, you, you, you've you read all of uh, Kareen's books and my books. Get your copy of If You Can Read This, available now, read that. But then when you get done, <laughs> check, out, check out Heinlein. But I bring up all of that because I know that um, community is very much a focus, uh, certainly in uh, If You Can Read This, as well as... Um, um, uh, was it where? Uh, when Life Gives You Mangoes. Thank you. <laughs> <I was laughs> gonna it. Um, when Life Gives You mango, So I know that that's a, a big focus here. And I wonder how much that experience, that those two extremes of having a community and, 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 and people all around you that, that are like you, that um, accept you, support you, uh, help to raise you. And then going from that extreme to the other, how much that plays a role in shaping uh, your interest in community?
1: Oh, hugely, I think. Um, I know that when I was in Jamaica in that small community, I didn't really appreciate it until I left that community and didn't feel that and didn't have that anymore. Um, I took that very much for granted, that I could go down the hill uh, to my cousin and walk t- walk into their house and watch TV with them or go down the road and play games with the neighbour across the road. Um, that were all things that I took advantage, uh, didn't take, uh, gosh, my brain's just gone, didn't appreciate um, until I left. Um, And I think like when I moved to England, I really sort of just expected that to continue that, you know, I came over as a child. I thought that was normal. I thought that's what every community was like. Um, And when I didn't experience that, um, I think I yearned for, my home community even more and I think that's why that reflects so much in my story. I think sometimes you don't appreciate where you are until it's gone and then you almost idolize it as this perfect setting. Um, We have this thing of sort of just remembering the good things of the past you know um and um there were negative things of course that that happened in that community but i think what i took away from it was that you know people were there for you and sorry and supported you all the time and i don't think i've experienced that since
0: have you been able to i'm assuming now that you're an adult and you choose where you want to live and where you go Uh, as much as any of us are able to to choose those things. uh, Have you been able to cultivate a a community around you?
1: I think I've managed to, more so in the writing community, and I think that's been hugely uh, helpful to do that. When I first started out writing, I was writing for years on my own. I was very isolated. I wasn't really aware of the writing community. I sort of just wanted to write. I loved writing, and I just did it. Um, and it wasn't until I went onto social media and started uh, connecting with other writers and people who were going through the same thing. And, you know, they were having the same issues with coming up with ideas and editing and finding an agent and a publisher. And that was hugely helpful for me. Um, I think, like outside of the writing community, I've sort of accepted. Um, accepted that i'm not going to find that sort of community again like i go back home regularly and even that's changed now people have moved on they've left they've grown up they've married and that community is not the same as it was when i was a child
0: wouldn't it be nice if you went back and it was like an episode of cheers and everyone just turns and yells kareem i know (laughs) we've been waiting here for you this whole time yeah I know that you wanted to be a writer since age eight do I have that right
1: yes yeah hey uh yeah and eight years old was probably around the time I started choosing what I read and and I started reading books that my nan my grandma had um she had like a huge collection of books and it was a lot of Enid Blyton books and I just remember when I started reading those books just being so in awe that someone could take you to a completely different world. And um, it was believable and it was exciting and it was thrilling. And you know, you wanted to be in that world. And I I remember around that time thinking, you know, this is what I want to do. This, I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to create worlds. And I started writing very, very badly short stories and forcing my family to read (laughs) to read it they were so patient with me
0: well there's another upside of having community is finding people who love you enough to read your terrible first drafts
1: yes yeah and that was my family every single time they would read well they said they read it and I believed them
0: But you know what? Uh, even if it's not 100% true, the effort to lie still implies love. So <laughs>
1: <Exactly>. <laughs> I yeah. exactly. <laughs>
0: So I know that as you're writing uh, as a child growing up, um, uh, we anybody who listens to this show knows uh, that we've had a whole movement for we need diverse books because books weren't diverse. Um, this is not breaking news, obviously. So how does that impact you, knowing that you're looking around publishing and you're not seeing books that feature characters who look like you or your family? You're not seeing people working in publishing uh, who um, who might have that in common with. How does that impact your view of publishing? And how do you anticipate that it may be changing for the next future author who can look and see your books available?
1: I mean, it it made a, a, a huge... Uh impact on me because I didn't think I could, my stories would be accepted because my characters didn't look like the characters that were out there. Um, And so I accepted for a very long time that I would just be writing for myself because I didn't see people like me. I didn't read books about people like me. So clearly those books, uh, they didn't, uh, publishing didn't want those books. So I quite happily read books with people that didn't look like me and I enjoyed those stories um, but I didn't think that my stories would be accepted in that world for a very, very long time. Um, and then when I started to see uh, a few books with characters that looked like me, uh, it, was, it was that moment, that's when I decided I would give it to go. I was like, oh, okay, so we're buying books with people that look like me. Now's my opportunity, let me try, because if I don't try, then I will just regret it. And that's when I started putting my work out.
0: I know that I had read that you had a career teacher told you that writing wasn't a career and you should rethink your options.
1: Yes, career teachers. Yeah. So um, I don't know if you have this in the U.S., but uh, in the last couple of years of school, you have a career teacher and you have meetings with them. And they sort of just find out what you want to do in the future and sort of help guide you on where to go next and where to, you know, what subjects to take in college and stuff um and so my meeting with my career teacher she said what do you want to do and I said I want to be a writer and she says that's not a career choose another one (laughs) choose a real career and I just remember my heart sinking and that sort of uh solid. oh my gosh I can't even speak I hate using big words (laughs) that sort of um just uh The thought that I had before that there were there were no books with people that looked like me and then my career teacher telling me that you know that wasn't a career for me and I you know I thought okay so that's a true then there's this this is not for me so I went into um, admin I became an administrator and I worked for charities I worked for children charities for a really long time and just continued writing for myself
0: So you're writing that whole time. She discourages you from the idea that this is going to be a career, but like, well, you can't stop me just from enjoying this thing I love.
1: No, I, and I couldn't stop writing. I wanted to write. It was my love. And I think, you know, that's, that's such an important message to do what you love and the way, you know, that it's something that you love is, could you do it? uh, If it wasn't a career, would you continue doing it anyway? And my answer is always, yes, I, that's what I did for years. You know, every spare moment I had, I wrote, you know, I'd come home from my normal job and I would write because I loved writing. I loved how it felt to put these stories down on a page and create these worlds. And that was what I enjoyed. It was good enough for me. So, you know, I just continued doing it.
0: I maintain that there is no book that I have written that is better in my own mind than my first book, because there was so much I didn't know about how terrible it was that of course it was brilliant. My God, I wrote a book. Uh, and then, of course, eventually I got critique partners and and was exposed to people with experience who told me, well, it's good that you're writing, but let's talk about how to maybe do this a little bit better. Uh, and then I thought, well, I've done it better now. I'm like, no, 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 there's there's still so far to go. Uh, now that you've uh, published uh, three novels with another on the way here in, in January that we'll be sure to talk about before we're done, now that you're in publishing, you you are an author and you've had, I'm assuming, some experiences along the way that uh, even though your fourth book is perfect, somebody still told you to make some changes somewhere in there. Um, does How does that temper your excitement and your love of just creating the story or does it
1: Um, It sort of does and I've said this a few times in that I love writing a story but I hate editing because (laughs) editing is when you really have to think about does this story work and you have to take out things that you might actually love um, but doesn't make any sense to the story. Um, And I think like before I had all that information and I just wrote what I loved, you know, and there was no outside critique. It was just me just writing and just enjoying that journey. But um, as soon as I got a publishing deal and started working with editors um, and learning about structure and what worked and just, you you know, that saying about killing your darlings, like taking out the things that you personally love but doesn't work for the story. I think that, you know, that sort of takes away the excitement for me. Um, and, and I especially the way I write as well, because before I used to just sit down and just write off the top of my head. And I did that with mangoes. Mangoes, I sat down and I just wrote straight off the top of my head. Um, but when I be- had a publishing deal, I learned that that couldn't work when you're working with somebody else. They sort of need to know where the story is going. And that sort of took away the excitement for me as well, because I needed to think about the story and where it was going and how it ended before I started it. Um, But it's also a good experience for me. I find that work, that method works better for me to sort of do the outline and the synopsis and sort of figure out, at least have a vague outline of where the story is going that works better for me, even though I'm not like, oh, this is, I'm so excited about writing this story. Now it's a lot more, you know, tame, but it's better for me in the long run. She says.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, um... Why is it uh, important to make that change when you know somebody else is gonna be involved to start? I'm assuming, do you write like a formal outline? How, how, how involved are you getting in planning before, you, before you'll before you start a project? Um, so if I'm working with a, a publisher, uh, so
1: I write um, a, a basic synopsis, probably like a page, and it's do like an outline, maybe a few, like a paragraph or two of each chapter. Um, of how it starts, what's happening in the middle, and sort of a vague idea of how it ends. I've been quite lucky in that I've worked with editors that have sort of given me the room to change that ending because it, you know, it does sometimes. You know, sometimes you think this is how it's going to end uh, on when you write an out- outline, but then when you start writing it, it just takes you in a slightly different direction. And, and I've been lucky to have editors that have sort of allowed me that space. To do it, um, so yeah, when well, I just do like a basic, like couple of paragraphs for each uh, chapter, or every few chapters, just so they just know how it beginning, how it begins, what's happening in the middle, what's the journey, uh, and how it ends, basically.
0: And I'm going to ask this question a little bit facetiously because I have some idea. It happens to me, unfortunately, uh, where my characters will uh, ignore my outline, just blatantly disregard all of my careful planning and say, no, we're doing this instead. And I'm like, all right. Well, I guess you are. Why do you think that happens? Why do you think that, that it changes from the plan at the beginning?
1: I think, uh, well, for me, when I write an outline, I'm sort of writing it for someone else. And I'm in my head, I am I, thinking about where this story is going. And I write down in that moment where I think the story is going. But when you start to actually write and sort sort of create this journey, um, sometimes maybe you do a scene and an idea comes to you and your character is like, no, I'm not going to go straight on. I'm going to be a left and I'm going to go up that hill. And you're you're thinking, you know, should I continue straight on? Because that's where I said I was going to go. Or should I follow this journey up the hill? Um, And I always find that it's better to just go with the character and where the character wants to go. And you have the better ending that way for me anyway. I know like with Mangoes, when I first wrote it, it's got a completely different ending to what it has now. When I wrote it, it was just uh, a normal ending of the kids you know playing and running up the street and as i went back to edit it um, as they were going up the street this idea came to me of this house on the hill that was haunted and i went oh but i've written the story already shall i shall i go with it and i just thought let me just go with it and see what happens so i completely rewrote the whole story and went with this idea and i think it's the best thing that i did um, I think you've just got to follow your heart when you're writing.
0: That's still a tremendous leap of faith though, when you already have the the outline, the plan, and somebody said, I like what you already had. Why are you, why are you doing this? And you have to explain, no, not me, not me. I want what you want. The character wants this.
1: <laughs> yeah, take the blame off yourself. It's not me, it's the character. I wanted to do exactly what you wanted, but the character said no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: I think, yeah, it's so easy, isn't it? To just stay on track. Um, but I think also at the end of the day, you have to love what you write. So if you stay on track, but in your head, you're you're not happy with it. And you, you're you thinking of doing something completely different. I think it's your story. And at the end of the day, you need to be happy with what you write. Um, and even though you tell people, this is the direction it's going in, um, You have, but you and it changes, then you should just go with that because you know it's your story and you need to be happy with it at the end of the day. I just believe that.
0: Well, in theory, I, I believe this is true, although I'm open to the idea that maybe it isn't. Uh, that happens to me enough times uh, in life that I just accepted sooner or later many of my uh, things that I believe now will, will be challenged and I'll think, oh, well, well now I believe something better. Um, but I do believe that if you love your story, if you're happy with it, esteemed uh, reader who eventually gets their hands on it will be happier with the result. I think we could tell when people are, are checked out or are not interested in their book.
1: Yeah, 100%. I absolutely believe that as well. I think that you can tell when someone is not 100% into the story that they write, you can feel it. Um, I think it's the same with any sort of art. You know, if you watch an actor acting, and you know, if you, if you go to a show and uh, you see a, a singer on stage, you can tell when people are not hundred percent into it and you feel that and you take that on and you, you're turned off by it. The whole idea of writing is that you bring people into this world and you have to bring them in fully. So you have to be fully committed to that world in order for them to believe that's real.
0: So, you, uh, I know you You had some success uh, when you'd written short stories for a while, but then you write your first novel in 2012. Uh, and then you write three more novels over the next three years, and then you switch to short stories. What, 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 um, what, what precipitated that change?
1: So uh, when I first decided that I was going to uh, send my work out uh, to agents and publishers, I started uh, writing adult books. Um, And I was still very green. I I still didn't know what I was doing. I was just writing what I loved and whatever came in my head, I wrote down on a paper and and I sent it off and it wasn't going anywhere. You know, I'd get nice little polite letters going, uh, thank you, but no thank you. Um, So I thought, okay, let me just put that to one side. That's not working at the moment and let me just write short stories, which I did a lot when I was a child they're a lot quicker. And what I will do is I'll just write short stories and I'll just put it up on forums or social media. And I'll just see what feedback I get from that. And so that's what I started to do. I started to write short stories, used to put them on forums and on my uh, Instagram. I used to write short stories and put them on there. And then um, I saw a competition on Twitter um, asking people to uh, Put out their, their, their stories. You had to do like a, a, you know, I don't know how many, I think it's 240 characters in, in a tweet or something like that. And you sort of had to pitch your work. And those agents and publishers would be looking. And if they liked it, they would like your tweet. And that would mean you'd send them your work. So that's what I did. I, I pitched um, a, a story that I'd started, which was originally Mangoes, it was just one chapter. And I didn't know where it was going. Um, and I pitched that and um, they liked it. I sent that off and um, my agent, I had a meeting with my agent and she, um, she agreed to sign me basically. Um, but yeah, so I, I started off doing short stories because um, adult, writing for adults wasn't working for me and I just wanted to take a break. I wanted to continue writing, but I just wanted to take a break from that and sort of reassess where which direction I was gonna go.
0: See, I can always almost hear a portion of the audience who's, who's in the submission uh, who's in the, the query minds at the moment, who's screaming, wait, go back. How did you just get an agent? That's the dream I want for myself. So you're, 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 you're tweeting and this agent likes your tweet and then you set a meeting in person or, or what's, what's the next step?
1: Um, yeah. So it, it was called a uh, deep pit, I think on Twitter. And um, so they, when they like your, your pitch, um, you, they, they usually tell you how to send your work off. And sometimes it's like one chapter plus, plus a synopsis or maybe three chapters plus a synopsis. Different agents ask for different things. Um, I think my agent asked for three chapters plus a synopsis, uh, which I did, I, I sent that off to her, the email that she'd, she'd said to send the work to. So I sent that off to her. Um, And I didn't hear anything for a while. Then she got back to me and said, I love the three chapters. Can you send me uh, the rest of the work? Um, What else you've got? So I sent that to her and she was quite quick actually. I think maybe a week or two weeks later, she said, can we arrange to have a meeting? And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm so excited. (laughs) Um, And it's really funny because I remember, that she wanted me to meet in London because that's where her her office was. And I didn't have any money to, to go to London. I just remember thinking, how am I gonna get to London? I'm going to have to find a way. I don't even think I've actually told her this story. I'm gonna have to find a way to get to London. And I remember dipping into my rent money to buy my ticket to go to London and I couldn't afford to buy lunch or breakfast. So I was starving, I was so hungry. I went into the meeting, I hadn't had breakfast, I hadn't had lunch (laughs) and I was so nervous. Um, I didn't know what to say to her and um, I thought I'd completely blown the meeting because I was just so, so nervous. Um, And then I think it was a a week later, maybe week and a half later, she sent me an email and saying, um, it was a lovely meeting and I would like to represent you if you are on board. And I was like, yes,
0: please. (laughs) Thank God. How are you feeling on the train back? You think that you've blown it and you've also dipped into your rent money and you're hungry. (laughs) Yeah. I
1: was, I remember at the time I was so overwhelmed with hunger that I couldn't think much of the actual meeting. I just needed to eat, and then when I came home and I ate, I remember it started to sink in, and I just felt just a little bit sick to my stomach because I thought I'd completely blown it. I was like, oh, there's, there is no way she's going to sign me because I was a nervous wreck. I didn't ask any questions. I was mumbling. I don't know what I was talking about. Um, there, there is no way. And I, I got quite a little bit mad with myself that I'd blown such a huge moment. So I wasn't expecting her to say yes.
0: And so when she does, is that like winning every lottery there ever was? What's that experience?
1: It was the, when I got the email, I remember just squealing, jumping to my feet and uh, then texting everybody I know before I even answered her. I think I just was like, oh, my gosh, guess what just happened? Um, yeah, I was so related and in disbelief as well. And I think that pretty much describes my entire writing journey As so I'm always in complete disbelief of where I am and how I got here. Um, I always think people are just going to find out that I'm a complete fraud and I'm not meant to be. <laughs> like, how did you get here? You're terrible. Um, but yeah, I was just uh, so, so excited and I, I couldn't believe it was actually happening. I, I felt that way for a really long time. Even after I signed the contract, I still couldn't believe it.
0: What would happen if a Twitter, if an agent saw that you'd accepted their offer on Twitter before you got to them? I know. <laughs> She's very oh,
1: okay. That's a yes, then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> She's updated her social media bio. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> I already it. changed my bio before I emailed her. <laughs> like uh, right before the second date, changing your status to in a relationship. Hang on now. <laughs> Are we? We <laughs> <laughs> might have been, but not now. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> so you've blown <learned> that. <laughs> so uh, she, she assigned you, uh, life's looking good, but then you still have to go through the submission process. These jokers at, at publishing houses still have to weigh Why the agent already said it's good. Just publish it. Don't worry about it. So yeah. how long does that uh, submission process take then?
1: Well, it was a bit longer for me. So uh, she signed me and I hadn't finished Mangoes at a time because I'd only written one chapter. Um, and I went, remember I went away on holiday and I just had this great idea of this fantasy YA book um, that I decided to write. I'd pitched it to her, I think. Um, I can't remember how that story goes, but I i wrote this story on holiday. I came back um, and she sent that out. We worked with it for... Well, Uh, on it for a while um and then she sent it out and we didn't get anything back um no interest at all and I remember just feeling completely gutted and thinking that was my one chance and I'm not going to get another one and is this over just completely questioning is this over um because I didn't have anything else to pitch Um, and I went away and, um, felt really sorry for myself for a while, (laughs) for a really long time. And then I dusted myself off and thought, you know, I'm always writing stories. I have lots of ideas. I have lots of short stories. Let me go into my documents, see what I've got and see if there's something there that I can work on. And that's when I found that mangoes chapter, um, which was called something else at the time. And I remember rereading it and thinking, um, yeah, let me, let me see if I can do something with this. Um, and I sat down and I started writing and I finished writing and editing it in a month and sent it to my editor. She sent me an email that, fr- I sent it to on a Friday evening and the Friday night she sent me an email saying, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm putting it out as soon as I can. Um, and the following week, uh, she did a little bit of editing with it. Then she sent it out. And I think a week later, we started to get offers.
0: And so now you're about to be four books out in the world here come January. You're on the Middle Grade Ninja podcast. By God, you, you've made it. I know, uh, right. <laughs> Do you feel that you are definitely an author? You can take some of that worry off that this won't happen? Or is there still that that, that sense of panic that, one, that we're all going to find out you're a fraud, of course, but two, that this is all going to go away? Is that, is that a concern? Or have you found confidence that, no, this, I'm here to stay? Uh,
1: no, it's constant. It's, it's always constant for me. Um, because for me, it's never guaranteed, you know? Um, I had a two book contract, that two book came to an end. um, And then I was panicking what was going to happen next. But luckily, my British editor asked me, do you have something else? And I had an idea in my head, and she accepted it on the idea, um, which I've just finished the three books uh, for that. But you're constantly thinking, the contract's going to come to an end at some point, then what? Like, it's not like it's a forever contract where I'm always going to be guaranteed work Um, and I never have that confidence where I think you know I've brought out a few books now it should be okay because it's it's not really there's no guarantee at all you know I could bring out six books and I think by end of next year it probably will be six books I've brought out and I'll still be worrying about then what you know what if you know then they've had enough and it's you know the next book uh, idea I have they're not happy if they don't like it and say no and that's a constant worry for me um at the moment I'm having a little bit of a break after I've just finished three books um but I'm still constantly thinking of ideas you know I'm still working on ideas so that when I've come off this break I can pitch that to my agent and then we can send that out and see, see what happens. Cause I'm, you know, I never relax at all. I never think this is it. I'm here.
0: Well, that sounds like, that uh, sounds stressful. Uh, and <laughs> you can't argue with the results. <laughs> the <books are laughs> getting done. So if that motivates you, I, I don't know that the, what is it, this pain is useful to you, um, but it, it, it does seem to me mostly working out.
1: Yeah, it's not useful at all. It's a terrible place to be. <laughs> 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 like, who wants to be stressed constantly? Nobody at all. I think that's just part of my personality. You know, I, I'm always, uh, I, I never think everything's guaranteed. I always feel like I have to constantly be working for, to stay where I'm at. And I don't think I've ever fully accepted that this is where I'm at. I'm an author now you know, I, in my head, I'm always, you
0: know, Korean trying to write books and hope that somebody will like it. <laughs> you're still, in, you're still back in that uh, counselor's office, a uh, career, career. What do yes. You know, career yeah. I you no, you nope, it's, it's not going to happen. Don't, don't worry about it. Pop uh, yeah. out as soon as your publishing contracts dry up and say, I told you. <laughs>
1: yes, exactly. And it's so strange the things that we hang on to because my English teacher, Told me if I do anything with my life, do something with my writing. But that doesn't stick out as strong. I still remember that because I, I, I you know I put it in my book in the acknowledgments. But it's sometimes we hang on to the negatives a lot more than we do the positive. And I know for me, a lot of the times, like I'm constantly thinking of, you know, what if this doesn't work out? What if the next book doesn't work out? What if no one likes it? What if it doesn't work? Um, instead of thinking, you know. I'm on your podcast. This is a great place to be enjoyed. I don't think I'm, and I don't know if a lot uh, how many people uh, or the authors are like that. Um, I I kind of guess probably they are this the same that you know you just constantly just thinking you know how do I stay here? How do I make sure that I I I continue this dream that I have.
0: Something that's a comfort to me and may not be a, a comfort to you, but I'll share it anyway in, in hopes that it is. Or if not, somebody will hear it and say, th- well, that's a comfort to me anyway, which will be good. Um, but I do think that um, in you know, the pandemic has had has had us all reevaluating what matters, what what's important to us with the time that we have here. And sometimes I think um is some of this time I've spent writing, I'm not. I don't regret any of it, but could I maybe start to investigate some other creative outlets as well? And would that make me not an author? And it wouldn't. I I, I publish things; they're available. Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees. Esteemed audience, get your free copy. I will always be an author. You can't. You You can say I'm not a good author, but you can't say I'm not one. I am. There's there's a book. There are books available. And so that calms me down a little bit. I'm very proud of what I've put out in the world and grateful for the opportunity to have been able to do that. And so whatever comes, whatever comes going forward, I'm still happy to have had that. And it's, it calms me a little bit. I don't know if that will work for you or if no, don't, don't you dare calm me down. I need that fear to write more books. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, that's, that's a really good. Uh, yeah. I, I, I do need to think that way. I I have books out. They are published. I am an author. Um, I don't know. I I I guess I don't know if it's a British thing or or what it is. I it almost feels like I'm being arrogant, but I'm not. I actually have books out, right? I's not. I'm not boasting to say I'm an author. It's, I actually do have books out. It's it's weird how my brain works. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've had enough people that I've bragged to just regular people who who aren't in the writing community. Like I will never forget, I, uh, a slight, slight humble brag. I got a, a blurb from Richard Adams, which was just the biggest thing that could ever happen uh, at the time. And I ran into work, and I'm like, oh my god, I got a blurb from Richard Adams. And they went, who? And I said, Watership Down. And they said, what? And they, oh, that creepy cartoon from the '70s. I'm like, well, technically yes, but my god, there's so much more, and you don't know. So uh, I don't know that that the that. that non-author people here I'm an author has, has that much of a boost <laughs> so cool. yeah
1: yeah you're you're absolutely right yeah the, and I know like when I almost uh feel weird about say when people say what do you do for a living and I go um I I write stuff <laughs> because when I'm said to people like I write books they're like oh you can make a career out of that and I'm no, not really, but we try. <laughs> How much money do you
0: make? How famous are you? Just have
1: yeah. a book, stop.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I've got a book idea. Would you
1: like to write about it? No, thank you, but thanks.
0: <laughs> seems like you, with, with, with non-book people, you can either get indifference or uh, almost worse. is Oh, I've always wanted to write. It seems pretty easy. I have a book. When you read it? Yes. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, I get that as well,
1: yeah. I've got a really good book idea. Would you like to hear it? I have no power in publishing, so that would not would not work <laughs> at all.
0: <laughs> so. Um... One more question before we we get here and we start talking about if you can read this available now, esteemed audience. But I wanted to ask as you go through all of this adversity, by God, finally, When Life Gives You Mangoes is coming out. It's about to be named Oprah Magazine's Best Caribbean Books for your 2021 uh, reading list. And there you are, October in 2020, and the world shuts down. whole pandemic like if 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 there was no other adversity if it hadn't been enough already your big moment and the whole world shuts down what's that like coming out in the middle of that
1: oh my goodness i you know what when the world shut down i thought of course it does of course it does (laughs) my book's about to come out i've been waiting for this my entire life and the world said no (laughs) not today um i just remember thinking you know, how is this gonna work? How are we gonna get this people to hear about this book? Because uh, a lot of things we had planned was to do events and go to bookshops and schools. And now we can't do any of that. And I know a lot of um, pandemic authors um, had the same problem where they struggled. We had to change the way we promoted things. Everything had to be online um, and I just remember having to learn very quickly how Zoom works, (laughs) to do Zoom and and to to be pretty decent at social media because that's where I would get the word out about my book. Um, And I think like coming out on the other side, I almost became quite comfortable with that. It was very scary at the time and I thought this is not gonna work. but then I got used to just doing everything by Zoom and then the world opened up and my publishers were like, yeah, we can go out now and see people. And I was like, what, people in real life? No, thank you. This is great in my room, we'll stick to that. Um, so yeah, we, then we had to start you know, going, going out and, and to bookshops and actually talking to people and, and doing it the way that we wanted to do. But yeah, it was a difficult year for, for us um and i i don't think i got how bad it was i think the publishers did because they had experience of it i didn't have experience you know this was my first time i i didn't know what we were really going into i knew that we wouldn't be able to do face to face events but i i didn't know how bad it was and i think especially when the book the shops close and bookstores close and so people couldn't buy books um we found that especially uh, especially challenging, but um, it's done it's done really well. I think it's just it was just slower, you know. It's um, it, it took a longer time to get to people than it would have normally if
0: the world was open. I've gotten, I've done a few in-person events again now, and I'm I'm warming back up to it. So okay, I I remember people. This isn't. Yes. All. Don't don't get too close. Don't don't cough near me. But it is nice to see everyone again. And yet, anytime I do an event, a tremendous event, maybe a hundred people, two hundred people show up. Um, usually it's closer to about 30 40 but still uh, a nice event like that and then I'll look at it like an episode of this show and I'll see how many more people listened all over the world I think well what am I doing in person that time maybe would have been better spent it available to everyone
1: yeah because you can um I I think that that was a great thing about doing it online is that we had much more access we had access to a lot more people than we probably would have done if we were doing it in person um and because we're working with the us as well we could sort of coordinate a lot of things that we were doing because it was all online um and i mean i apart from like being uh face to face with people and doing in-person events i i think it it went fine for my introvert self it was it worked totally perfect and I was happy being in my room on a computer (laughs) talking to people
0: one of those great ironies of, of becoming an author is hey introvert person who likes to sit quietly and write things come out here and talk to the world wouldn't that be nice when you wouldn't you like to be up in front of people and speak I know I yeah I'm like this is not what
1: I signed up for I signed up for being in my room with the door closed I'm just writing by myself this going out into the world and talking to people is you know like my biggest fear and has always been my fear and when I worked for like charities I used to avoid things like that and now I can't I have to (laughs) I have to do it because it's my book and that's how I'm going to promote it so you have to get over it very quickly.
0: Well, somewhere out there is the uh, Emily Bronte, the modern Emily Bronte, who's just writing everything and putting it in the trunk. Uh, and then uh, the year after that person dies, that all of their stuff's going to be widely available. And maybe we'll have good thoughts about it. Maybe we'll criticize it. And she won't know. She'll be she perfect. You'll never know. That's perfect. <laughs> <I probably will. laughs> I will uh, tease esteemed audience because I have uh, forehand knowledge that you have an actual haunted experience that you're going to share with us but we're going to tease it for right now we won't get into it yet, because first we're going to talk about your wonderful book a little bit, Uh, if you can read this available now, and true to my word I will not make you sit through me fumbling through a summary of your novel, what does esteemed audience need to know about if you can read this.
1: Yeah, so if you read this, it's about 12-year-old Brie. It's also set in uh, Jamaica. 12-year-old Brie, she lost her mother three years previously. Um, On her 13th birthday, um, her 12th birthday, sorry, she um, receives three letters from her mom that her mom had written to her before she passed. Um, and um, she and her mom used to go on all these adventures uh, for treasure hunt, um, and so, her mom wrote these letters so they could go on one final treasure hunt together. Um, So she follows the clues of these letters, uh, which take her to a place that she and her mom used to share. And and it's really just about Bree's journey in self-discovery of accepting that things change, that um, her mom has left and um, just finding uh, joy with the people that are with her now. Um, she also um, meets uh, her her grandfather who's got dementia and she he was part of the memory of her mother and the happy memories with the mother. And so not only that has her memories with the mother changed, the memories with her grandfather have changed as well. and it's just her accepting that things change, people move on and um, just accepting people or, appreciating people when they're around before they go.
0: And I've just checked my notes. If you read this, not if you can. (laughs) I can't even get the title right. (laughs) (laughs) Who who is the uh, ideal reader for if you read this?
1: So um, I would recommend it from age nine upwards. Um, It does deal with um, subject of death and um, dementia, but I hope I've been quite uh, careful with the way that I've dealt with it and um, as honest as I can for her age um, and as gentle as I possibly can with that subject matter.
0: So what what advice for for folks who want to write uh, about such subject matters, about grief, about about dementia, about death. Uh, for the for how does that differ when you're writing for a middle grade audience versus if you were to write for adults?
1: I think that when you're writing for adults, you it, you can be as unfiltered and as graphic as you can with that subject matter. I think that with middle grade readers, although I completely uh, believe in being honest with children. Um, and their experiences I think you have to tread very gently um, so that it doesn't frighten and scare them Um, so you have to be honest um, honest with them but you've got to be it's it's such a it's, it's gentle with with them as well you have to hold their hand through the subject matter and also give them hope that things will get better I think with adults you can just say people die and you don't need to sort of you know, have a happy ending at the end of it. And I think children really deserve to to see there's a positive ending to
0: it. Ah, and then um, I know that this is loosely inspired by your own experiences with with your own impulsive mother and some of the diaries she kept. Does that right? Yeah, it's,
1: it's mainly... Um, inspired by my grandfather who had dementia um my my mother you know she used to be quite impulsive and we used to go on, on a lot of little mini adventures um I remember one summer we were all really hot one night we couldn't sleep and she sort of came in the room and said oh you can't sleep either let's go to the seaside we sort of just jumped in a car in our pajamas and a pillow and she drove drove us to the seaside. We slept the whole way and when we woke up, we were at the beach and my mom, you know, loved doing things like that. But I also wanted to tell a story of my grandfather who had dementia. Um, he was a fisherman and he was well-loved in his community. And it was because he was so well-loved and so well-known that when he started to get dementia, he was on his own, but people recognised him and called us. We were in England, called us to say, you know, we found your grandfather and we don't think he's well. And it's because people knew him in the community why we got that call. Um, and I didn't have much of a relationship with my my grandfather until we put him in a in a home for people with dementia. And then we would visit him all the time. And it's probably the, the best relationship that I had with him uh, that lasted maybe five years. But I just got to see him um completely differently from the stories that my mother would tell. So she would tell us tell me all these stories about him when she was a child but I got to hear that from him but he would think my mother was still a child herself and that was part of his dementia so he would talk about her as if she was like eight or ten or fifteen and he would say oh you you know she's got such a temper she never listens to me and he didn't know that she was sitting right next to him and she would say you know dad I'm here and he goes I know I know but then he would talk about her like she was a child and I sort of got an insight to what my mom was like when she was younger which I never had before you know I'd have her stories but here was her father telling me these stories as if they were now as if they were happening in that moment and he would also think he was still a fisherman which he hadn't done for years so he would say you know oh if I knew you were coming I would have got you some fish um, and often he would go missing from the home because he was trying to get to the sea to do fishing, to bring some fish back. Um, so I just found it really interesting and fascinating to watch him because he was—he—he seemed so alive when he told those stories and when he didn't, he, he, he just seemed so lost. Um, and I just found it quite fascinating to watch him and how he was stuck in this moment. And I just sort of wondered if he was stuck in those moments because those were the happiest moments for him, you know, and that's all he remembered were these happy times and that's what carried him through. Um, so I, I took that story and, and I put it in, if you read this in that, you know, Bri really looking for someone to comfort her. And what she where she found her comfort was with her father, her grandfather who had dementia because he was stuck in the same place that she was, you know, for different reasons. He was stuck in the past because that's all he could remember. And she was stuck in the past because she didn't want to forget.
0: Oh, I should uh, point out as a footnote, uh, just in case the esteemed audience thinks I made a judgment call. I've never met your mother. I took the word (laughs) impulsive to describe her from things you've written elsewhere. (laughs) how long uh, does a does a book like uh, if you if you read this not if you can if you read this how long does a book like that take you from inception to final draft? Um, it, this one took
1: quite a while. Uh, we were still in a pandemic when I started writing this. It was part of a two book deal. I needed to write a second book. The world was on fire around us. <laughs> I was finding it completely. Uh, really hard to focus on a story. Uh, we had a few ideas that, that I went away, tried to write, it didn't work. And then um, I finally had this idea of, you know, this young girl that got, has these three, these letters that take her on an adventure. Um, so I think from having the idea, sending it to my uh, publishers and they agreeing with it to um, to it being published, is a year and a half i think i think a year and
0: a half yeah incredibly speedy Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so what when you're when you're i know you're you're working on other projects almost simultaneously you would have to be just given your release schedule what does your average workday look like when you're not stopping to to make time to, to talk with us (laughs) Um, So if I have, if I have a a
1: publishing deal or a deadline, I will sort of, I get up, I take the dog for a walk and I use that moment to sort of clear my head and think about this, what I'm writing, where I'm going with it, uh, the structure of it, um, any ideas I might have that I was stuck on the day before. Um, and then I'll come back and I'll sit down and um, if it's edits and I'll start editing, if it's writing, then I'll just sit down and see where it takes me. And I sort of just sit down and write for as long as I can until my brain says, that's it, we're done. There's nothing more in the bank. Um, and then I'll get up and I'll uh, maybe get something to eat. I'll do something else. A lot of the times I sort of just watch a film to just completely just take my mind off it. Um And then I'll go back into it in the afternoon. And I'll do that a few times until I work, usually work quite late, um, till probably about eight or nine p.m. Um, If I'm on deadline, I'll work later than that. But I don't always work every day um, because sometimes I sit down to write and there's nothing there. My brain's not working. There's no ideas, no, no inspiration, nothing. And I used to in those moments really get stressed about it and try and force myself (laughs) to do the work. And I will write something, but it will will never be anything that I'm happy with. But I'm sort of learning now how I work. Um, And when there's nothing happening, I just stop. I either do something completely different or get up, I go outside. Um, take a break. Um, sometimes I just take the day off and then I'll go back to it the next day. So no two days are the same.
0: So important for sometimes just to let it go. because otherwise you're sitting there and you're like, fall in love, darn you. Do it. <laughs> 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 yeah, you're staring at the screen saying,
1: write the words. Where are the words?
0: <laughs> I realized my day off has become a week. Okay, now what's going yeah. on? but a day or two here and there when you when you need to recharge I think that's probably fine
1: yeah yeah definitely
0: but I don't know, maybe there's like four more novels you would have got a steamed audience if only I'd been more diligent. We'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you could have written a whole series if you hadn't taken that break. <laughs> you know what? It's quality, not quantity, hopefully. <laughs> and somebody's, some smarter aleck's going to say, No, those books were terrible. Well, you could have deleted more <laughs> terrible books. Ah, well, <laughs> but they were books. <laughs> At least she got a nice podcast. I don't know. So. I'm watching our time. I know it's it's running away from us quickly, but what can you tell us about the, the new book, Adaru and the Banished, which should be out here January 20 and 23, or good news, esteemed audience, if you're listening to us after that, it's already available. Just go get it.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, um, Adaru and the Banished is um, about a young girl who moves to a town that turns out to be magical. Um, and the magical people are actually banished. Um, and she's the only one, she finds out that she's the only one that can uh, save them, so she moves into this small town and she doesn't want to, she's always lived in a city, Um, so she doesn't want to move Um, and her father finds her this paper round and as she goes on this paper round she finds something in the field which suggests something is going on in that town and so she investigates and finds out that these people have been banished from society, and so she tries to find out why and what she can do to help them.
0: So that uh, is either coming soon for so you could be pre-ordering an esteemed audience, or it's already available. Go get it. Thank you. Um, well, I promised uh, esteemed audience, and I've tried never to break a promise to esteemed audience. They have waited patiently. I always ask every guest who comes on if they've seen a flying saucer and or a ghost. So. Have you seen either or both of those things? It's so strange, because I don't even think about this
1: uh, all the time, but every now and then I sort of remember this story and I'm like, oh, that was really weird. Um, So years ago, uh, my family lived in a different house in the same city that we live in now. And um, I was probably 17, uh, because my mom had gone to Jamaica, but she'd left me because I was still in school, um, college that we call over here. Um, And I was on my own in the house. My sister wasn't there and it was daytime. And I went into the kitchen. So we have this really long, narrow hallway that sort of is like an L shape. So you have the living room at the beginning of the, the bottom of the L and then you go all the way down to the end and that's where the kitchen is. So I went into the kitchen and clear as day, I heard someone say, a woman's voice say, Kareen. And I spun around because I remember thinking, is my mom here? She's not even in the country. And I spun around and there was nobody there. And I literally, my heart was beating so fast. I was like, I 100% heard a woman's voice say my name right behind me. So I walked down the hallway looking uh, to see who had called my name. And I was calling my sister's name as well because she was the only other person that that lived in the house with me at the time. But I knew that she'd left. And so I went to each room calling my sister, nobody answered. And I went into every room looking, there was nobody there. And I just remember sitting in the living room for about an hour going, that 100% just happened. I don't know what it was. I don't know who it was, but somebody, a woman's voice called my name and now there's nobody in this house. And I was so scared. I actually didn't want to stay there for the rest of the day.
0: (laughs) That uh, would freak me out. (laughs) (laughs) that would freak most people out it was
1: so clear as well it was like they were right behind my head like someone had just creeped into the kitchen without me hearing them and almost wanted to make me jump which i did (laughs) i jumped out of my skin and spun around expecting to see somebody and yeah there was no one there the place was empty
0: so i'm assuming this is the scene of what's eventually going to be your first horror novel and that will be my new adult novel
1: coming in 2025.
0: <laughs> um, flying saucers or no?
1: No. Oh, maybe. We. Oh, you mean if I actually seen anyone? No, uh, if
0: you've seen them or if you just have an opinion you want to offer, I'll take that too.
1: I've never seen a flying saucer. I've seen photos of them. And I just don't, I don't know what I think about it. I believe there's, something out there i just don't know what it is but i've never seen one with my own eyes
0: have you um no um i mean some things in the sky that i didn't know what they were but that doesn't that doesn't that's not exciting like i don't know what is is that big light could be i'm the most likely explanation is me misidentifying things and really hoping that i'm (laughs) that i'm seeing something amazing but it's on my bucket list Uh, The way things are are going here uh, with the Pentagon having uh, stated flat out that they've got classified or they've got recovered uh, flying saucer material. I assume we're all going to see one at some point.
1: I know. I thought they said like a couple of years ago that they had these files that they were going to release. And I've been waiting for these files. I thought they were going to release it to the public. Or did I hear that wrong? And I was waiting for these files to see what what was in it, because apparently um, Obama said verified something or sort of hinted that there were strange things going on. So I was waiting. I actually had this conversation with my friend a few months back saying, did they release those files? And she said she didn't think they did. So be interesting.
0: Obama's been very good about making vague statements about I know things, but I can't tell you. (laughs) Uh, And um, for, for whatever your opinion about Donald Trump um, he did uh, on his way out sign legislation that enacted the release of a lot of those documents. Down you go and you look at them and they're mostly redacted all through, but you read around the redactions and there's still enough interesting meat on those bones. Like, go really? <laughs> oh, really? Uh-huh. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I, I 100% believe there's something out there. I just don't know what it is.
0: Well, hopefully they, they read books and it's a whole new market for us to reach yes. out to.
1: <laughs> We meet them one day and they said, I've read your book. And like, I'm glad someone did. Thank you.
0: Huge <laughs> <laughs> on another planet you never knew existed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they want to arrange an author visit. <laughs>
1: uh, that's enough. I wasn't expecting. <laughs>
0: Great. I'll get uh, I'll get a whole new book out of this experience. for sure. This has been an absolute privilege and a pleasure. I I really appreciate you making time for for me and my audience. I've got one last question for you and we'll call it today. We'll we'll end on this. But I like to end with the question. Uh, If you could go back toward the start of your career, middle of your career, yesterday, whenever it would have been useful to you, uh, give yourself some advice that would have helped and and made easier your path that might make easier the paths of everyone who's watching or listening to us. What would you go back and tell yourself? Oh,
1: there's there's a few things I would tell myself. I think one of the things is, you know, you've got to love the story that you write because it goes through so many processes and with editing you edit it so many times yourself and then you work with an editor and they edit it some more and if you don't love your story you'll end up absolutely hating it by the time the process is done you've got to 100% learn uh love what you what you're writing but also um I think um what I would tell myself is just to enjoy it you know, just enjoy every moment, enjoy a short story writing, enjoy, you know, every interaction that you have, um, enjoy when you have a meeting, when you had your meeting with your agent, enjoy that. And I know it's so hard to say that when, you know, you have this idea of where you want to be and this goal and you just want to get there, get there, get there. Um, and sometimes you forget the journey. I think it's probably a better way to say it. you're you're so focused on the destination that you forget to enjoy the journey and I think just enjoy it because it's such a wonderful experience you're doing what you love you're coming up with all these ideas and it's such a wonderful process when you sit and think about it like every now and then I'll sit and think you know wow I actually write (laughs) and I create these worlds and that's pretty you know pretty decent that's pretty good. Um, and I think, yeah, just sort of enjoy the journey and not worry so deeply about the destination.
0: That is the perfect note to end on. Where can esteemed audience find you online, follow you on social media and all that good stuff? So on Twitter,
1: I'm on there as Kareem Getton and Instagram, I'm on there as at Kezi writes.
0: Ah, And as always, esteemed audience, for more information about me and more importantly, for interviews almost as good as this one with other authors, editors, literary agents, all the world's best people, head to middlegradeninja.com, download your free copy of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Beans, it will change your life, and God will then I'm alive. I'll see you next week.